Hi guys, I'm Marie. And I'm Maddie. And we are here recording Lost in the Woods. We are recording part two. So, if you didn't listen to last week's episode, you need to go listen to that because this is the second part to that. So, we kind of ended last week with everybody, the murders have occurred, everybody's been found, they have all of their evidence, and now we're going to move into... Going over that evidence yep. and talking about the trial and what exactly happened to Ivan Mallet. Malat. Malat. God, I don't know why I want to call him Mallet. I don't know. Actually, a lot of people call him Mallet, and his family has actually gotten really upset about it because they're like, you guys are butchering how you pronounce our name over there. Well, maybe that's why. Maybe because I've only heard it as Ivan Mallet. I heard that's it. Why. I heard it as Ivan Mallet, too, when I originally heard this story. So okay. it is Malat, though. Okay, yeah. And we've had to re-record like six things where I called him Malat. Not Malat. Mallet. Mallet. <laughs> and we'll I'll like we'll listen to it and we're like, how do we catch that when we recorded this? Usually, yeah, I catch most of them, but every now and then she was able to like sneak, sneak one by me. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what's happening. Yeah, who knows? But also this morning, which you probably don't know what this is yet, but we recorded Hiking with Hannah, which is a segment that we're doing with my sister about us dragging her into the woods to hike with her and her. It'll be on our Patreon. It'll be on our Patreon. Her kind of surviving. <laughs> Mostly we scare the the crap out of her. It's fine. But so she came over this morning and I say this morning because it was morning time. I had to wake Maddie up. Everybody gets here. If you hear our Patreon, you'll hear this entire thing unfold. It's pretty crazy. But there were shots involved and then there was more coffee involved and then there was Red Bull involved. And then there was more shots involved. And then there were more shots. And then there so, was a cat and then so much happened. So much happened. It was crazy. My sister's a little crazy. It was fun. But Maddie and I are kind of in a weird spot now, mentally, I think, because of it. I mean, I don't normally do shots in the morning. At 11 in the morning, either. I was I like, I told him my coworker, he was like texting me, and I was like, he's like, how are you feeling today? And I was like, well, fine. I just took a shot of vodka, so I'm not sure. He goes, Maddie, it's like noon. <laughs> Yeah, so peer pressure, that would be my sister's influence on us. So, yeah, we're, uh, I mean, we're doing fine, but yeah, a little, I don't know, I kind don't of a strange day. Anything. If you see a picture of me on our Instagram story uh, where I'm wearing a hat but a tank top and I'm chugging a Starbucks double shot, that is a result of what happened this you morning. You also see my cute shot glasses. Her shot glasses are cute, yeah. I want to collect them from everywhere I go. I've only They're like had... the soft, rubbery ones. They're like rubber ones. Yeah. But I got too hot with the heating blanket on. I had to take my sweater off. And then it got hot in here it because was... there were three people in here. Just... And we were all taking shots. But and... then Hannah left. And then I took a... we took a short break. And I came back. And then I was kind of cold. So my hat is on. But I hadn't put my sweater back on. And I look a little crazy. I don't it's know fine. what's going on. I just... I exist now. Um, <laughs> we can record this now. Let's do it. So here we go. Also for a visual, I'm wearing a neck pillow right now as we record this. It's like one of those airplane neck pillows. I don't it know. It is. Uh, Wait, it is. you guys, just so you know, she entered the room wearing it and I did not even ask her about it. <laughs> no. There were no questions asked why I'm wearing a neck pillow. I just had it. It just, it's <laughs> it, just what's happening today. It's fine. It's fine. All right. So here we go. We're going to move into the evidence and the rest of the case. So here we go. They'd been working hard on tracking down the Ruger that had been used in target practice near one of the murder scenes. 
Yeah, and that's the one where they found the two different types of yeah. weapons. Okay. Yeah. But I think the Ruger was would be an easier one for them to track. In November 1993, a plea for information was sent out to the public. 5,119 calls came in and details for every call were logged. One of the calls was from a woman reporting her neighbor had an all-terrain vehicle and was a gun enthusiast. And his name was Ivan Malat. So another was a woman named Mary who told the story of a man that had picked her and her friend up while hitchhiking. And under the guise of needing to use the bathroom, he stopped the car and asked which one of them wanted to go first. They took off running. The man had been driving a silver car. This was 16 years earlier on the Hume Highway. Her friend also called the hotline later that day. I think that running was probably a really good plan. Or another person called in saying that their co-worker, Richard Millat, had been making unusual comments about the murders. Another call was from a woman named Joanne who had picked up a very distressed man named Paul who had been attacked by another man that he had accepted a ride from. And another call came in from Paul Onions, which is the man that Joanne had picked up. This Joanne that's from the car is a different Joanne. Yes. Joanne, the car lady, is different from Joanne, Joanne the, the victim. Hi- the victim. Yes. Right. right. Two different people confusing. But it's confusing because we're talking about them in the same in the, the, story. They, yeah. Yeah. So he had seen that the remains of Joanne and Caroline had been found in the Belangola Forest, which is where he had encountered his attacker. So he called to say, I think I know who your murderer is. And this is the story that he tells. On January 5, 1990, Paul Onions, who's 24, he's from the UK. He had been backpacking in Australia and while hitchhiking from Liverpool Station towards Mildura to go fruit picking, he had accepted a ride. This ride was from a man calling himself Bill. Bill asked him a lot of questions about where he was going and was he meeting up with anyone? Was he on a timetable? Was he expected? I would also like to say that if anybody ever asks you a question about if you're alone or any you're meeting up with people lie. like is lie. Someone's always expecting you. Someone's always waiting mm-hmm. for you. You're always meeting up with someone. You're always waiting for your friend. I have lied so many times. This started to make him uncomfortable, right? Less than one kilometer from Belangelo State Forest, he said that all of a sudden, the atmosphere in the car changed. Bill said that they were going to lose reception soon and that he needed to stop and get some cassette tapes. Okay, so Bill stopped, got out of the car, and started rummaging around under his seat saying that he was looking for cassette tapes. Paul thought this was strange, one, because there were a bunch of cassette tapes already. So Paul decided to get out of the car and stretch his legs. And at this point, Bill yelled at him to get back in the car, which he did. Paul, just run. At this point, Bill pulls out a revolver and told Paul that this was a robbery. When he pulled out a rope, Paul knew it wasn't a robbery. So Paul, of course, got the Dodge out of there and took off running. Probably should have done that before he had the gun out. I'm just saying. Bill yells at him to stop or he's going to shoot him. 
To which Paul starts running in a zigzag because he thought that he had heard somewhere that if you're running in a zigzag pattern, it's harder to be shot, which is is true. true. (laughs) This is true. And actually, this is so true because even people who are trained in firearms and different things like that, Mm -hmm. like people who are like professionally trained to shoot, have trouble hitting a zigzag target themselves, like a target that's moving in unexplained ways. Yep. Or at an angle. Unanticipated ways. Yes. Bill did fire at least two shots at Paul. When he finally turned around, he saw that Bill was chasing him. He tried to flag down multiple cars, all of which did not stop for him. He probably looked like a crazy person. Mm -hmm. He finally resorted to jumping in front of a car. Motorist Joanne Berry, who's our caller that we had earlier, was in the car with her mother and her children. She did not want to let him in. He kind of forced his way into the car. Him and Joanne were able to describe the assailant and the vehicle to the police. He had left behind his backpack, his passport, about $500 in cash, and all of his belongings. However, this report would be filed with other petty crimes and not looked at again for four years. That's crazy, because that's more than a petty crime. I mean, this man brought out ropes and was like, this is a robbery. He goes, this is not a robbery. You don't need it. You don't tie someone up. Yeah. The man had been driving a silver car, which we had another person that called in about a silver car. Mm -hmm. He had a distinct horseshoe mustache. We call them handlebar mustaches here. And he claimed to have worked for the Roads and Traffic Authority. And you guys, this attempted abduction took place five kilometers from where the bodies of Deborah and James were found. And at this point, they had been missing for only three and a half weeks when the attempt on Paul Onions happened. After this incident with Paul Onions, there were no murders for a year. So there's a year long gap from this incident to the next murder. Because he was scared. I was gonna say, I bet he was scared he would be identified. So at this point, police have their favorite suspects kind of narrowed down. Yes. Right? And one of their suspects is a man named Ivan Malak. His name had come up many times, and he was on their list of suspects already. But not only that, but a call came in about his brother as well. Well, I think that's one of the things that triggered them looking deeper into him, is that the Malat name had come Come up up multiple multiple times. times. Right. Okay, so on February 26th, 1994, surveillance of the Malat house at Cinnabar Street in Eagle Vale, So police had learned that Malat had recently sold his silver Nissan Patrol shortly after the bodies of Carolyn and Joanne were found. Which would also be after the attempted kidnapping of Paul Mm -hmm. Onions. Police were able to confirm that he also hadn't been working on any of the days that the victims went missing. They learned that he had an obsession with weapons. Remember, one of his neighbors called in too. Mm Mm-hmm. Police were not very discreet with their surveillance, and Ivan seemed to enjoy the attention. So, on April 13th, 1994, Paul Onion was flown to Australia to help with the investigation. On May 5th, 1994, Paul positively identified Ivan Malat as the man who had picked him up and attacked him. This enabled the police to get a search warrant to search the house and property of the family. They wanted to know if he had worked alone or had help from one of his brothers. Mm -hmm. So I think pretty early on in the investigation, they thought one of his brothers might be involved Mm -hmm. in these murders. Police visited Ivan's brother, Alex, 
and his wife, they interviewed him about his report of the two girls who were tied up in the back of a car. Remember, he's the one that called the tip line in saying that he had seen the two girls tied up in the back of a car entering the Belangola Forest, but he stuck to his story. Alex's wife made a comment about serial killers taking trophies like backpacks, which immediately perked the interest of police. Police asked if they had any backpacks, and she produced a blue backpack with a lilac pattern. So this was identical to the backpack that Simone had. Yep. She said that she got the backpack from Ivan. I almost feel like they knew something and they were trying to help police without actually helping police, right? The brother called in a tip, which got the family on the radar. Mm -hmm. And the sister's like, oh, you know, sometimes serial killers take backpacks as trophies, which got them to ask about a backpack. Oh, hey, look at this backpack that Ivan gave to me. Uh Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. On May 22nd, 1984, at 6.36 a.m., police call the house, waking him up. They inform him that the house is surrounded and that they have a warrant. He replies, okie dokie, just let me put my pants on. When Ivan didn't come out, police called him again and asked why he hadn't come out. He was convinced that it was one of his workmates playing a prank on him and... They assured him that it was real and that they were the police, and he asked why they didn't knock on the door then. They explained to him that it was standard protocol to call for safety reasons. He said, all right, I will play your little game, but I'm not keen on this. By 6.48, he still hadn't come out. They called him again, and his girlfriend said they were coming out and that Ivan was just looking for his keys. They're spending a lot of time doing something in this house, right? So I kind of think it might have been a ploy, him pretending like he thought it was a prank. So he could hide evidence. Okay, so a few minutes later, they did walk out with their hands up. He complied with the orders and was handcuffed. The warrant that they had was for the armed robbery of Paul Onions. They searched the property. They had a list of over 100 items to be on the lookout for. In Ivan's bedroom, they found a driver's license with Ivan's picture, but his brother Michael's name and information. Sus. Mm Mm-hmm. They also found a postcard addressed to Bill... Which is the name that he gave Paul uh-huh. Onions. They also found an envelope in his drawer full of foreign currency, including money from New Zealand and Indonesia. So, which is interesting because the German backpacker, Simone, had just returned from a trip to New Zealand before her disappearance. And the German couple, Gabor and Anya, had traveled to Australia via Indonesia. So, he denied having any guns, but they did find a lot of ammunition they found a tin full of 22 caliber bullets and an unused 12-gauge shotgun cartridge. Four boxes of 22 caliber cartridges were also found, and their batch number matched the cartridges they found at Anya and Gabor's crime scene. All of the 22 caliber ammunition could be used in the Ruger and rifles fired by the Belangolo serial killer. They had also found spent cartridges that had a distinct mark on them that matched two of the murders. They found a receipt for a shotgun. They found a 32 Browning pistol that had been slid under the washing machine and that had been stolen during a break-in at the office of the Roads and Traffic Authority in 1977. And that's where Ivan worked and where Paul Onion's kidnapper had said he worked. They found a Ruger rifle receiver stuffed into one of his work boots. They also found a map of the Southern Highland region that included the Belangola Forest. 
They collected a foot-long Bowie knife, magazines about shooting, rolls of electric tape, homemade silencers, cable ties, a camouflage mask, and a police scanner. The tape and cables match a restraint device found at one of the crime scenes. They also found a camera that was only available in the United Kingdom. It was also, surprisingly, the exact model of camera that Carolyn Clark had. Hmm. Stuffed in a garbage bag in Ivan's sister Shirley's room, they found a green and purple sleeping bag that was identified as belonging to Simone Schmidl. A cook set, cups, a green water bottle, and a small bag also carried by Simone were found. In the garage, more items believed to belong to Simone were found, including a tent that had a band tied around it, and it was identical to the band found tied around Simone's head when her body was found. A green and beige sleeping bag was also found that matched the sleeping bag that Deborah Everest had borrowed from her brother before leaving for her trip. They found a striped green pillowcase with five lengths of cord stuffed inside, and one was stained with blood. They found a car in the garage. In the car was a British coin with the print date of 1989 on it. Oh, on the back of the car was a bumper sticker for crime prevention. Thanks, Ivan, for trying to prevent crime. My hero. In the attic, they were able to remove some insulation and see into the wall cavities where they saw a plastic bag. This plastic bag had a Ruger rifle magazine and parts of a 22 Ruger rifle in it. Hidden in the wall. I mean, that's extreme. Homes belonging to five of his brothers and his mother were also searched, and items were found in every single house that belonged to the victims. And... Every item that they found, the family members said they got from Ivan. There was an especially large amount of items in Richard's house. So Richard, not Alex, who was the brother that turned up the lilac backpack with the wife. Right. Not that brother. Different brother, Richard. This is a different brother. Wasn't Richard the one whose co-worker called in saying yes. he'd been talking about Rich- the murders? Yes, and he'd been making strange comments about mm-hmm. the murders. That's what... So Richard also had a call. Pictures of the family wearing and using the gear and clothing belonging to the murdered backpackers were also found. So Ivan basically played dumb and said he was innocent the whole time. And he at some points even pretended like he couldn't hear the police's questions. He suggested the police planted all of the camping items in his house. Even the photos? All of it. I don't know. He did hire himself a lawyer. Let's talk about Ivan Malat because we need to give a little bit of background on this guy, right? Just so you know what's going on. Ivan Milat. So Ivan's dad was a Croatian immigrant worker, and his mom was Australian. She had married his dad at 16. Yeah. So he was born on December 27, 1974. His parents were low-working class, and he was the fifth born of 14 children. Four- Ten of which were boys. Teen children? High birth order, five out of 14, right? That's pretty high. Okay, so his father was hardworking and started a tomato plantation on the family's farm in Moorbank in Western Australia, where his sons were promptly put to work. Many of the Malat children were known to police. His parents fought often, and his father was a very strict disciplinarian. He would often beat his children. So Ivan displayed antisocial behaviors. His younger sister, Margaret, died at a young age in a car accident. Ivan had actually been at the scene and had held his unresponsive sister. 
Yeah, I think she was really young at the time, like a baby. This seemed to have a profound effect on him at the time. Which then you add that traumatic experience and then your dad beating you on a regular basis. Yep. So by the age of 13, he had spent a stint at a residential school. Spent a what? Stint, like an amount of time. Nope. That's a made-up word. It's not. That's not real. Oh, my God. In 1962, at the age of 17, he was in juvenile detention for theft. Okay, so in 1964, at 19, he was involved in a shop break-in. He was sentenced to 18 months for breaking and entering. A month after he was released, he was arrested for driving a stolen car and sentenced to two years hard labor. Yep. Between 1965 and 1966, Ivan had an affair with Marilyn. She was the girlfriend of his brother, Boris. In September 1967, at the age of 22, he was sentenced to three years for theft. So in April of 1971, two 18-year-old girls accepted a ride from a man on the Hume Highway. Mm-hmm. This would turn out to be Ivan. One of the girls had been taking pills, sleeping, and Valium. And both soon fell asleep in the car. When they woke up, they were on a dirt road. Ivan told them he was going to have sex with both of them. He threatened to kill them if they didn't comply. One of them tried to reason with him by saying they were psychiatric patients undergoing treatment for sexual-related illnesses. So, that's hilarious. That's good. That's smart. One even mentioned God, and he responded with he didn't believe in God because his sister had died in a car wreck. One of them tried the, I'm going to be sick, and tried to say that if he let them go, they wouldn't go to the police. He began to tie them up, and when he said he was going to kill them both, if they didn't have sex with him, one of the girls complied and had sex with him. He then agreed to take the girls to the store to get something to drink. There were people around, and this gave them the opportunity to escape. He drove off, police were called, and he was stopped by police who had set up a roadblock. He denied the rape of one of them and insisted that it was consensual. Police did not find the knife or ropes in the car when he was arrested. While awaiting trial, he was involved in a string of robberies and home invasions with his brother, Michael. So they actually let him out on bail, and he decided to rob Mm -hmm. a bunch of places. They robbed a corner store and a bank. They were caught and charged and again granted bail. So while meeting with his lawyer, he was told that it didn't look good for him. <laughs> he excused himself to go smoke a cigarette, which he allegedly never smoked. Guess what? What? He never returned. He never smoke. returns. Yeah. So a warrant was issued for his arrest. Can you guys stop letting this guy out? Like, what are you doing? Later, police found his car and his shoes at the top of the Gap which is an ocean cliff that was known for suicides. Three years later, the police received a call that Ivan was at his ailing mother's bedside. Turns out he had faked his own suicide. He had fled to New Zealand for a year before returning to Australia, where he laid low using his brother Bill's identity. And remember, Paul Onions was kidnapped by somebody calling himself Bill. At the time, you didn't need a passport to go from Australia to New Zealand. So that's how he was able to get to New Zealand. He was promptly arrested. Kind of smart. Faking your own suicide, like... Not the worst thing he's ever done, not, right? Not yeah. the dumbest thing. Okay. In December of 1974, his robbery trial started. He was found not guilty. 
What? Okay. Yeah. So his brothers wouldn't testify. Witnesses couldn't positively ID him. The police that arrested him had come under scrutiny for corruption. So basically, he was like off the hook. Okay, then it was time for the kidnapping and rape trial. His attorney attacked the character of one of the victims, and his strategy worked, and he was found not guilty. Yep. In 1975, he got married to Karen. He was 30. She was 17. Yep. She was also six weeks pregnant with one of his cousin's babies at the time. He was very domineering and violent, and he would control his anger for long periods of time and then explode. Cool. In 1975, he took a job as a truck driver. For 20 years, he would work on and off for roads and traffic authority all over the country. In 1987, his wife would leave him. But don't worry, he does burn down her parents' house in retribution. Although, this could never be proven. July 13th, 1989, they were officially divorced. Six months after that, the first two backpackers disappeared. Mm-hmm. Trigger match. He also had a very large collection of guns throughout his entire life. On May 23, 1994, he appeared in court but did not enter a plea. His lawyer actually tried to get him out on bail, even though he had fled the country the last time he was out on bail. This was refused. Thank goodness. So on May 31, he was also charged with all seven backpacker murders. Meanwhile, his brothers Richard and Walter, they were charged in relation to weapons, drugs, and stolen items that were found on their properties. A man named Philip came forward, said that he was a friend of David Millat, another brother, another brother. Mm -hmm. He came forward saying that around Easter of 1992, so when Joanne and Carolyn went missing, he said that he had been sleeping on the family's couch when Ivan and Richard came home that's where they lived at the time. Woke him up when they came home. He said they were carrying guns and a bloodstained knife and machete. Mm. He said they also had backpacks and passports. He said that Richard jokingly said that the blood was human and said that Ivan could cut his head off with one blow. I've seen him do it. Yeah. Ivan responded with Richard can't stab anyone. He has to shoot them. He said that David had told him that the family thought that Ivan was up to his old tricks and they were worried that he was taking a brother along with him. And his statements did change over the years. So how reliable this witness is, we really don't know. But his story does line up pretty well with some of the police suspicions already. So police decided they're going to set up a meeting between him and Richard, which they would record. When Philip asked Richard about that night, Richard told him to keep his mouth shut about that. Philip asked what he should say to police if they asked him about the passports and backpacks they had showed him that night. Richard said, just say nothing. Tell them you have seen nothing. Later in the conversation, Philip mentions his disbelief that one person could be responsible for the murders, to which he replies, that's what we're worried about. One of these fucking big German cunts is supposed to be about 6'4 and 18 or 19 stones, which, by the way, I had to look this up, is about 252 to 266 pounds. Stones is a way of weighing. Mm -hmm. When he is with a broken arm, a broken jaw, and a fucking broken back, what, one bloke did all of this to him? And if he can do that to him, how come some skinny fucking 
pony backpacker can get away from him. Talking about Paul Onions, I'm assuming, in that. This comment stood out to police because the description of Paul Onions hadn't been released and neither had the full extent of Gabor's injuries at that time. But it was not enough to warrant his arrest. Oh, Richard had told people that he was convinced after that that Philip was working with the police. This forced him into hiding. He was killed in a car crash before he could testify. Don't like that. Nope. On June 28, Ivan fired his attorney. Mm. It is rumored that he did so because his attorney was advising him to plead guilty by reason of insanity. Another rumor was that he believed his lawyer was in cahoots with the police. He hired a Queensland-based solicitor named Andrew Bowe because he felt that anyone local would not be trustworthy and would be working with the police. So apparently he's a little paranoid. I'm not surprised that his ego couldn't handle being called crazy. Yeah, I'm not either. Or he just didn't want to plead guilty because he thought he was going to get away with it somehow. So his ex-wife was placed in protective custody at this point due to the belief that she could be in danger. Okay, on October 24th, so a committal hearing for Malat regarding the murders began and lasted until December 12th. Yeah, it's kind of a long one. What is that? It's like a hearing to prove that there's enough evidence for a trial. So... This would be really short here. We don't call it a committal hearing either. We call it something else. But it would be a lot shorter than that probably. But I think they wanted to really make sure that he was going to be held at this point. Mm -hmm. So over 200 witnesses appeared, including Steve Wright, who had swapped tents with Joanne and Carolyn while traveling with them. Remember, he had repaired Mm -hmm. a hole in the tent. So it was found on one of the Malat properties and had that distinct hole in it that he had patched. Other family members testified and identified items belonging to their loved ones that had been found in the Malat houses. At one point, the court had to be evacuated due to a bomb threat. A summary of the evidence was presented. When the backpack belonging to Simone was presented, Ivan yelled from across the courtroom that police had written the initials on it This was contradicted when his sister-in-law, Joan, testified that they had already been there when he gave her the bag in 1992. Paul Onions also testified about his ordeal. By the way, the bomb threat was thought to be called in by a family member, and they thought that Malat was going to try to escape during that time. Yep. Yep. Legitimate concern, right? The defense attempted to cast doubt by claiming witnesses had seen some of the victims after their confirmed missing dates. And that Ivan had been working during those times. But this was discounted by police. Yeah. They also tried to say that Richard fit the description of the murderer as well. And even had the distinct handlebar Mm -hmm. mustache back in the day. Yeah, so basically they're trying to say, well, no, it wasn't Ivan, it was Richard. Based on evidence, it was determined that there was enough evidence to take him to trial and he was remanded in custody until June of that year. Speculation was rampant on whether or not there was an accomplice. And a lot of experts disagreed on this. Mm -hmm. So on March 26, 1996, the trial opened at the Supreme Court of New South Wales There were eight men and four women on the jury, and it was prosecuted by Mark Tedeschi. Preceded by Judge David Hunt, people crowded outside the courtroom, desperately trying to get a spot in the courtroom. 
Yeah, this was a very well-known case. So there was a screen put up behind him, and this was to protect him, Ivan, from things being hurled at him from the gallery. So they had to put a screen behind him because they were worried or because people were trying to throw things at, like, the back of his head while he was on trial. He seemed very unconcerned by the entire ordeal, though. So the prosecution openly admitted that they were not sure if he had accomplices or not, but either way that he was responsible for the death, rather he had help or not, which is true, right? Mm -hmm. Blood found on a cord in Ivan's garage matched Carolyn Clark. The green water bottle found was tested and showed that the name Simi had been scratched off the bottom of it. And remember, that was Simone's nickname. The defense team argued that despite the evidence, there was no non-circumstantial proof that Malat was guilty and focused on trying to shift the blame onto one of his family members, mostly focusing on Richard. Yep. So 145 witnesses took the stand, including member of Malat's family attempting to provide alibis for him. Oh, and this is interesting. The jurors were actually taken into the Belangolo forest to see the remote locations where the victims had been found and to better understand the crime scenes. Ivan's girlfriend was called to explain why she was in a photograph wearing Caroline's shirt. She claimed that she had taken the shirt from a pile of laundry at Ivan's house. On June 17, Malat himself took the stand, which is kind of a bold move, as we know. He admitted that some of the belongings found did belong to the backpackers. Specifically, the backpack tent, water bottle, sleeping bag, sleeping bag cover found at his property, and the day pack at his brother's did belong to Simone. And further, the two sleeping bags, a sleeping mat, and a tent located at Richard's house did belong to Joanne and Caroline. He claimed that he didn't know how the belongings got there. He claimed that he was being framed. His testimony took a full day. So at one point he was being cross-examined and it had been a long day. He was continuing to question him about gloves that were found on his property to which he blurted out, I never wore no, but then stopped. And the prosecutor's like, do you mean you never wore gloves in the forest? To which Ivan didn't have a response to. So could have been a blunder, we don't know. One of the jurors got a threatening call saying they better not find Ivan Milat guilty, and they believed that other jurors had received similar threats. So, and they also believed that this was the Milat family that was calling these threats in. So on July 27th, 1996, after 18 weeks of testimony, each victim's name was read aloud, and the judge asked what the verdict was. And for each one of the murders, the verdict was guilty. Yep, he received a life sentence on each count without the chance of parole. He was also convicted of the attempted murder and false imprisonment and robbery of Paul Onions. He received six years in jail for each of those counts. By the way, I actually read somewhere that Paul Onions was offered a reward of about $200,000, which he turned down. I think he said something like whatever he bought with it, he would feel guilty every time he saw it or every time he saw it, it would remind him of the victims and he just couldn't handle that. So upon his arrival to prison on day one, Malat was beaten by his fellow inmates. Good. Although, he soon became a celebrity within the prison and even autographed magazines and papers that featured him. Barf. 
On May 16, 1997, he made an escape attempt alongside convicted drug dealer and former city councilor, George Savas. Yeah. This attempt failed. On May 17, 1997, one day after his failed escape, Malat was found hanging from his cell, but he survived. In November 1997, Malat appealed his convictions due to breach of his common law rights to legal representation. New South Wales Court of Criminal Appeal dismissed the appeal. In 2001, following the opening of the High Risk Management Correction Center, or Supermax, Malat was transferred into one of its 45 new units. In 2001, before her death, his mother actually visited the prison seeking the truth. So she still wasn't sure if her son was guilty or not. She later confirmed to one of her sons that he had admitted it, but would never do so publicly. So in 2004, Malat filed an application with the High Court of Australia that he be allowed special leave to appeal on new grounds. This application was also denied. So on October 27, 2005, Malat's final avenue for appeal was refused. Yep. In 2005, Ivan's lawyer said that Ivan was a weirdo and that he thought he probably did it. Although he didn't think that a brother was involved and instead suggested that it might be his sister, Shirley. At his instructions, she had actually dug up a gun in the backyard to get rid of it. The gun was not connected to any of the murders, though. So what did he use the gun for and why did he use her to get rid of it? Exactly. They still don't know. In 2006, two other applications were denied, along with another in November 2011. You're not getting out, Ivan. Also, in 2006, news broke out that Ivan had been rewarded for good behavior and was allowed to have a toaster and a TV in his cell. A toaster and a TV. A toaster and a TV. Yeah. Which I get having a reward system in prison for good behavior and things like that, but it is so hard for me when these gruesome criminals get privileges. I mean, I I get that the what motivation does he have for behaving well in prison he's going to be in there his whole life he's never getting out so i get having a reward system but maybe the reward system could be like you get an extra cookie at dessert or something caroline clark's father spoke out saying that ivan had not given any of his victims any privileges and that he should not be given any himself well said an investigation into the reward system in the prison was reviewed and the tv and toaster were actually taken away from him you guys, this this is crazy. On January 26, 2009, Malak cut off his little finger on his left hand with a plastic knife. He placed it in an envelope addressed to the Supreme Court judge who had denied his application for appeal. Um, what? No. Do you know how hard it would be to cut your pinky off with a plastic knife? It would be easier to bite your finger off. Oh my God, that actually, that's that. That's worse in my mind. Really? Yeah. So I don't know why. So he was taken to the Goulburn Base Hospital under high security. And on January 27, 2009, he was returned to the prison without his pinky. Doctors had decided that surgery was not possible. Nor should they be trying to reattach his pinky. I'm sorry. No. A lot of people actually thought that this was a ploy to get transferred to a medical facility in order to attempt an escape. But she was not successful at all. Exactly. So, Malat had self-harmed in 2001 by swallowing razor blades. Staples. And other metal objects. Yeah. 
come on. In May 2011, Milat is now 66, he went on a nine-day hunger strike where he lost 25 kilograms or 55 pounds. This was in order to try and get a PlayStation. You're kidding. Nope. You're in prison. You don't get a PlayStation. No, he went on a nine-day hunger strike, lost 55 pounds to try to get himself a PlayStation. Congratulations, you can die. In May of 2015, Malat's brother, Boris, told Steve Aprin, a former homicide detective, that Malat was responsible for another murder. It was the shooting of a taxi driver named Neville Knight. So after conducting interviews and doing a polygraph on Boris and Alan Dillon, the man actually convicted of this crime, the detective was convinced that Malat was responsible for this shooting. So in May of 2019, Malat was transferred to Prince of Wales Hospital in Randwick, where he was diagnosed with terminal cancer. On August 9, 2019, he was moved to a treatment facility. And on October 27, 2019, so this is like last year, Mallet died at 4.07 a.m. His cause was listed as cancer, and he was 74 years old. I, this guy, prior to his death, Malat actually wrote a letter to his family requesting that his funeral be paid for by the New South Wales government. The request was denied by New South Wales Correction Minister Anthony Roberts, and instead, Malat's body was cremated with the full reimbursement of costs to be paid for from his prison account. So even in his death, he's trying to stick it to the government. Like, don't pay for my funeral. I want them to pay for it. Come on, Ivan. You should have bought more Top Ramen then so you had nothing in your prison account. So there are about three or four other murders that police believe are connected to Ivan, but they didn't have enough evidence to say it definitively. Right. Well, and I think at this point, too, he's spending his life in jail, that's not going to change. So is it worth the amount of resources to try to connect these crimes to him? Plus, he's never he's never telling the truth, right? Yeah, no. He I still just, thinks he's, like, innocent from the other ones. He's like, I'm not guilty. Can we not torture them in prison in order to get all the details of their crimes out of them? Because I feel like once you are convicted, you shouldn't be able to stay silent. I feel like it's just so wrong. Oh, wait, Do you know what I mean? You don't want to tell? You don't want to tell us where the bodies are? Let me just cut your fingers off. <laughs> and then cauterize them for you. Wait, maybe that's really what happened to his pinky. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. We have more on this case that doesn't really have to do with the case. More with the Malat family, you know? Yeah, so we have more Malat family Drama. craziness. Yep, and we have more information about victims and possible things that are related to Ivan Malat. We will have a extra long bunker talk for you guys, and we are hopefully, maybe by the time the second parter of this episode is we out, we could have it up and running. We could have it up and running. Yeah. We don't make any promises. You can yell at me for it later if it's not up by then. But yes. hopefully, cross our by fingers then. by the time part two of this episode is released, we will have that up and running. And not only will you be able to listen to our bunker talk on this, which our bunker talk is basically us. It's our biased, unedited opinion of every case, case that we've done. Yes. Like, just... So you'll get to hear what really goes on in my mind every time. It's terrifying. I'll make 
not only will you get to listen to our bunker talk on this case, but you also get to listen to our bunker talk on every case that we've done up until this point. Theories. The two killer theory. I, think, I like this one. I think that Maddie and I are both on the same page. We think that there's at least two killers for some of these crimes. If not all of them, some of them. And I am inclined to believe that it is a brother. Richard is my top suspect, but I'm open to other brothers as well. I am. I'm open to it. Okay. During sentencing, Judge David Hunt actually said that it was clear that at least two of these killings had two people involved. For the biggest thing on that, I don't understand how Gabor and Anya were killed. Well, not only that, but we have different methods of murder. We have different weapons being used. We have somebody controlling multiple people, which I'm not saying isn't possible. I'm not saying it's not possible that Ivan did all of this on his own. He could have. Because it is possible. Yes. But the control of these people suggests to me that there There could be two. Yeah, there are no defensive wounds. No one has defensive wounds at all. But he could have been using threat and assuring them that it was robbery until they were tied up and then everything happened. Also... I think that the M.O. just shows that there are two killers. Oh, and remember, there were two different kinds of knots, too. Mm-hmm. Okay. One thing that gets me a little bit is that they found cigarette butts at a few of the crime scenes. And as far as everyone swears, Ivan Milat was not actually a smoker and did not drink. But also, Paul Onions was attacked alone. So were they kidnapping them together? Were they meeting up? Was... Ivan working on his own in the beginning and then when the Paul Onions thing happened he decided I need help and was scared to do it again by himself a full year goes by before the next murder so I think that Paul Onions scared him and that that's what pushed him into inviting his brother in yep we talked about it could just be him because remember he did stab people in the spinal cord possibly paralyzing them he could have used drugs He also could have been threatening them with the possible murder of the other person. Mm -hmm. He could have totally done it all by himself. I'm not saying he couldn't have. Like, that's... Yeah. It's possible. That's a total possibility. Yep. So, yeah. So, that's kind of our thoughts on it. If you want to hear more, check out the Bunker Talk when that's up and running, which will hopefully be at the end of the second episode. Yes. And it'll be an extra long Bunker Talk for you guys because we have a lot of additional information that we couldn't quite fit into the case, but we still want to make sure you guys have it. Because we're now at three hours. Yeah. So thank you for listening. You guys are amazing. Thank you for the reviews this week. Yes. We really, really appreciate you guys. We have the best listeners. Do you want to go look at our Instagram at Lost in the Woods Podcast? Yep. Uh, follow us there. Like us on Facebook at Lost in the Woods Podcast. Yeah. Thanks, guys. And hopefully this week you'll be able to check out our Patreon. Yes. But don't quote us on that. We're not 100% sure we'll have it ready because we want to make sure that we have lots of material in there for you guys. We're not. We're trying not to rush it because we want to make sure it's worth it because we really appreciate all of the support and all of that. So. Yes. Um, I'll take all the blame for it if it's not up. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. So thanks for coming, guys. And we'll see you next week. Yeah, and sorry for this super long two-parter. I know. All right. Bye, guys.
Yeah, so one of our listeners, Tyler Croyle, he sent us a picture of the back of a truck at Home Depot that he a saw. Ra- a random truck, Somebody too. he doesn't know. And in the back of the truck is a shovel, an axe, some sort of twine or strings or rope or something, a giant rock. Why is there a giant rock in the back of your truck? And a bunch of bungee cords and then also like a broken mirror. And he basically said... This was some random guy or some random truck at Home Depot. But thanks to your podcast, I suspect everyone that randomly carries these items in the back of their truck is a serial killer. So I report it. Why <laughs> else would you have a? Why else would you have rope, an axe, and a shovel in the back of your truck? I totally, I totally agree, Tyler. What are you doing? He's probably a serial killer. That she should be in your garage, not in the back of your truck at Home Depot. I know. Well, maybe they. Or a landscaper or something. But Why do you need an axe? Maybe you need to cut down a stump or a tree. I don't know. If you're a landscaper, you got some automatic thing that cuts something. You're not using an axe. Serial killer. Tyler, it's a serial killer. Don't get too close. We're struggling. We're struggling today. It's fine. I've been struggling all day today, actually. I'm struggling. I'm definitely struggling today. I had to leave the gym after being there for five minutes after I drank my pre-workout. For why? Because I got a phone call from one of the children saying one of the other children was doing something bad and that they weren't going to let them get away with it. And I'm like, hey, how about you don't worry about what the other children are doing? You worry about what yourself is doing and I will take care of the naughty children when I get home. And then I heard screaming in the background. What? What? What happened? Cordy was using the bathroom upstairs. Stay the fuck out of my bathroom. Either way, I angrily left the gym after drinking my pre-workout, came home, and sat in the car for 10 minutes before coming inside so that I didn't murder anyone. So, I didn't get to work out today, but I drank some pre-workout, so that was super fun. Can I drink some pre-workout? That sounds like it helped me a lot I feel like you need some pre-workout right now. But anyway, children almost died. Can you call Lulu and tell her to make me some (laughs) pre-workout? Or bring me a coffee. (laughs) Because I hurt. Shut up. Why are there two big pizzas? Say don't fucking worry about it. I got one for later. Don't fucking worry about it. It's making noise on my computer every time you message me. Also, sit the fuck down, please. Love you. (laughs) Please put that in the podcast. Please put that at the end of the podcast. <laughs> Please. <laughs> I'm not going to... That was my mother messaging <laughs> one of my sisters, who, by the way, is a teenager. So, like, it's okay. It's fine. Is it? I feel like I, I can't leave that in there. I will be so judged for that. Put it at the very end. Okay, you guys have to understand. She is the reason I had to leave the gym today. I'm very tired. I'm very cranky. And she keeps... She's FaceTime- a high schooler, though. Yeah, she's a high schooler. But she keeps FaceTiming me. Which rings on my computer because I I have a Mac. And then every time she messages me, it also chirps on my computer and interrupts our recording. Not to mention, it's almost 6 o'clock. There's pizza in the oven and we have a very short amount of time to fit in a little bit of recording right now. Also because tomorrow is Maddie's birthday. Yeah. And I don't want to make her record on her birthday. So we're trying to get through this. She's being difficult. I totally... 
Maybe, maybe I shouldn't have used the F word twice. I'm sorry, but... No, it's fine. Maybe if you were talking to, like, a 10-year-old, that'd be like, whoa, whoa. Whoa, whoa. whoa." Settle it down. Maybe if you were talking to Cordy like that, I'd be like, okay, Mom. Mom, You're being traumatic. (laughs) I'm out. Well, guess what? I'm out. (laughs) I have bad news for you. (laughs) Guess what you have to do tomorrow. I want to change professions. (laughs) Well, you know what? You shouldn't have had kids. Today, I realized that. You really didn't realize that a long time ago? No, it's only some days that I realize that. Some days it's fine, and then other days I'm like, you are from Satan. <laughs> I thought you were from God, but you're not. You're from Satan. So That's let's do a little test here, and then we're probably going to have to boot the cat, because she is loud. She's attacking her mouse. So we have the kitten in here with us today. Come here, baby. And she's really loud. You want to meow? You want to purr for everyone? Aww. Ow, ow, ow. <laughs> so Maddie's trying to calm down the kitten so I don't kick her out because she's really loud playing on the wood floor. But she wants to play. But now she wants to purr. Her purr is so loud, you guys. You want to put on the table? Right by the microphone? Took the cat to the vet today. 100% healthy. Yeah. Um, Cat's doing good. She's so tiny, though. Did they weigh her? Yeah, she's like under a pound and a half. Oh, my gosh. So she's less than two pounds. Don't drink my coffee. That's not for you. Don't jump off there. Will she jump off? That's really high. Well, she tried to jump off the counter yesterday. Come here, baby. (laughs) All right, get her off the table. She's distracting me. Also, the kink in her tail. No issue also. And yeah, when, she's got yeah, she's got like a kink in her tail. He thought it was really cute, actually. It is really cute. It is adorable. She's a little kink in her tail. All of her siblings and their litter. All right, Maddie, get the cat out. All her sisters, actually, her litter was completely. She's too loud. She's okay. too loud. <laughs> I'm sorry, Delilah. You're you're out. You're okay. not a quiet recording oh, kitty. She got stressed out, and I played the song "Hey There, Delilah." She likes that. I told you last time I played she it. Was, she like curled up on my lap yeah, and instantly she was, like, fell asleep. Asleep on my shoulder. Aww. So the kitten is very little, very because very little. she's just very little. So we're not gonna let her outside until she's at least six months because she has have, to be bigger at least. Yeah, because we have a lot of hawks and we have a lot uh, of owls. owls. Yeah, coyotes. She will for sure be eaten by something. So we're gonna give her a little time to get bigger. Yeah, learn to defend herself. Schiller was like. I don't like the cat, like, the first couple days and, like, before we got Did it. Did you see he like, was carrying it around? Or he was, like, on the floor with it yesterday? Yeah, like, he, like, went down under the floor. It's, like, it's literally, I see it all over, like, Twitter and stuff about people, like, <laughs> my dad hated the cat, my dog, my dad hated the dog, and now this is what they, he's, like, he pit, he went down on the floor, was trying to play with her, and then, like, yeah, was picked her up and cute. held her and stuff. I'm, he like, was very concerned yesterday when the cat was meowing because there was just the can of food in the dish, because... Apparently, if the cat wakes up in the middle of the night and is hungry, and Madison was up really late, she will just throw a jar or a can of cat food on the ground for her, which we mix, like, wet and dry food for yeah, her right now. She's very spoiled right now. We're trying to fatten her up and everything, get her, make sure she's a healthy weight and everything. Yeah, so Shed was like, um, what is this? And he's, like, holding the cat. He's carrying the cat around, and he's like, she is hungry, and she needs real food. And I was like... 
Because it was, like, Who the middle of the you? night. It was, like, 1 a.m. And she was, like, meowing because she was hungry and she was out of food. Well, because so, somebody was up late with friends on her birthday. It was birthday. actually more, like, 3 a.m. when she was meowing and wanted food. Yeah. So instead of me going and being loud in the kitchen, when I was already being loud downstairs with my friends, I just opened a can of food for her. and Yeah, so Saturday night, you guys, yeah. I'm like, all right, if you guys want to have friends over, that's fine. My 14-year-old had a friend over. Maddie had a few friends over. We had dinner. We celebrated her birthday, whatever. I literally got out of bed three times in the middle of the night to go downstairs and yell at loud children. Never came and yelled at me. I know. You weren't the loud child. Yeah, I know. Cadence in her front of me <laughs> screaming. I walked in there and I was like, Cadence, shut the hell up. I have multiple friends over. You're being louder than us. It was her every single They were time. screaming. They were screaming. Well, they were like laughing and like being, and I know that, yes, teenage girls do this, but I'm not like that cool mom that's like, oh yeah, do whatever you want. Eat whatever you want. Have so much fun. Be loud. Whatever. I'm like, no, shut up. It's 10 o'clock. Go to bed or be quiet or go somewhere else in the house because there are certain rooms in where our house. Where you can't hear, where it's way quieter. Yeah, so Maddie's in the rec room. We also have a huge outdoor area. Uh, we have a covered patio underneath. We have a deck upstairs with furniture. I've even um, sent... The underneath... Uh, don't it, interrupt. I've even sent children to the playhouse when they're being loud, like... Go sleep in the loft of the playhouse so that I can't hear you. You can take all the junk food you want out there. They can watch movies out there. Like, mm-hmm. go do that. But no, the, I'm, I can't. But the thing is, is that me and my three friends weren't as loud as her and her one friend. I know. I know. And but we you were... guys, you guys also had the rec room, which is on the opposite yeah. side from my bedroom. But anyway, I was sleep deprived yesterday and today I'm still recovering, but... Maddie brought me coffee. 